God bless you saints. Nice to see you all again. Oh. Praise God. Let's just pray. <coughs> Father, Lord in heaven, wonderful Jesus, Lord, we thank you that we can sing salvation's song. Lord, that we were chosen out from amongst the world, not on our own merits, nothing that any of us have done, Lord. And you've chosen us to be your children. Lord, we thank you for such a, a wonderful, wonderful salvation. One that we can't even put in words. And Father, we just pray again tonight that you would presence yourself with us, Lord. That you would help us as the word goes forth, Father. To learn something, Lord, from your heart, from your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. God bless. So I think of Jesus when he, he fed the 5,000 and he broke the bread. And there was always enough to go around. And the word of God's like that. You know, no matter how many times we open it up, no matter how many times we break it and share it, it's not going to run out, is it? There's always something there. So thank God for that. Tonight I'm going to speak about enlightenment. I'm going to read from Ephesians 1.17. So if you want to turn to that, it's our kind of key scripture, if you like. Ephesians 1.17 That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the work of his mighty power now this is one of Paul's prayers and I love Paul's prayers and I, I've yet to do a full study on them I keep trying and what happens is I get to this and I get stuck so the one bit of this I haven't even done, ever got through the whole of it is that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened and that enlightenment means to get knowledge to be enlightened so for any historians around about 1620 throughout the world there was this amazing change where people gained knowledge so there was the catholic church there was the dark ages and everything was kind of under a cloud and then all of a sudden that started to fall apart obviously with um, the great reformers and people started to have different ways of thinking now that was one kind of enlightenment, right? That wasn't a godly enlightenment because people stopped thinking about God and they started to think about science and they started to have all kinds of new philosophies. But it was an enlightenment and it's just to give you an idea of what enlightenment means. If you look at the Greek for this, where it says the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, if you read it in the Greek it says the eyes of your mind or your disposition or your thought might be opened that you may be enlightened. Okay, so it's the eyes of your mind. So this enlightenment we're talking about is enlightenment of our mind. Okay, and then I thought, so why do the eyes of our mind need opened? Yeah, I mean our eyes are all open. We've all got a mind that's opened all the time, isn't it? Why? Do, why does God want our eyes to be opened? The eyes of our mind. And I had to go way, way back to the beginning. Yeah, a way back to the garden, a way back to the beginning of creation to find this out. And the very first time that somebody's eyes were opened, and we all know who that was Adam. Yeah, so when Adam, you think about it, Adam has created a whole man. It wasn't a wee baby, a baby's eyes are opened, and there's very little understanding. You know, babies don't come out with a PhD. That would be handy, it would save a lot of study and money at the far end, wouldn't it? But when a child comes out, they just stare around and there's a kind of vagueness and whatever. But when Adam's eyes were opened, 
he got an understanding. And one of the most beautiful things I think about understanding was that he had an understanding of God. Imagine waking up every day and just knowing the beautiful, wonderful presence of God. Knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're cared for, knowing that you've got no worries. Knowing that there's nothing in that day that you can't take on. And Adam had that. Adam had that amazing understanding. So he wasn't an opening up like a wee baby lacking understanding. He had an understanding of the Lord. So that was the very first eyes opened. That was the first enlightenment ever. What a wonderful enlightenment. What a pure enlightenment. And the second enlightenment, Adam was grabbing that one as well. Because God put him to sleep, didn't he? And it says he took a rib and he formed a woman out of the rib. And Adam woke up and there's a woman next to him now. And the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So Adam got two good enlightenments right away. The enlightenment of the knowledge of God. And then the second time it happened, he got a wife, which was a good thing. Now when Adam and Eve were first formed, they had no bad thoughts. We know what the Bible says. The Bible said that God created everything. And he saw that it was good. He didn't say some things were good and some were bad and some were just okay. Everything was good. He created heaven. God created a bit of heaven on earth because that was always his plan. He wanted his people to have something special the way he wants us to have something special. He didn't create bad things. He created it all good. So good that he said, I like it, it's good. So in that original enlightenment, all their thoughts were good. There was no anger. There was no fear. There was no envy. There was no jealousy. There was no upset. There was no pain. No anxiety. Nothing. Hey, that's where we're going. <laughs> where we're going, all that will be gone. There'll be none of that in heaven. That's where we're going. And Adam had that wonderful place with his wonderful wife. Happy all the time. No arguments. Perfect marriage. <laughs> and all the married people are laughing at that. Right? One day it'll be like that again. <laughs> Thank goodness. We'll never be tired and fed up. No, why do I have to? Uh, none of that. Perfect place that God created. And what did they do in the garden? Well, the Bible said that God created man to cultivate the garden. So there were gardeners. Now, I don't understand. Did they go around with pruning shears? Or, ah, really, I don't know. Or did they dig the soil, cultivate it? That, that's conjecture. But they were there to cultivate it. Because when I was younger as a Christian, it took me a few years to find this, I just thought they, they hung out in the garden, chilled out and wandered about, you know, a wee bit of fruit off that and a wee bit of that, but God actually gave them something to do there were gardeners, maybe that's why people like gardening we like being out in the countryside, so they were in this wonderful, amazing, perfect place, and the Bible records that every evening, God actually came down, he came down and walked with them and spoke with them. Imagine the Lord's presence coming down and oh, he's right there and he's asking them, what have you been doing today? And they're talking and he's sharing revelation. This beautiful, amazing, perfect place. So everything that they were getting at that time, all the enlightenment they were getting, because remember Jesus grew in grace and knowledge of the Lord. So even he gained wisdom over time. Adam and Eve were gaining wisdom and they were gaining knowledge of the Lord. The Lord was sharing his secrets directly with them. There's the Holy Spirit does that for us today, doesn't he? He brings back to remembrance everything that Jesus said. 
So they were in this place that everything they were learning was good. All that they had, all the enlightenment, all their teaching, everything they got was directly from Jesus. Directly from God. There was no middleman, there was no me or anybody else standing in the way. They were getting it from the Father. What a wonderful place to be. Absolute, pure, 100% revelation. Distilled. Yeah, a fantastic start. Enlightenment that we know in part, the Bible says, doesn't it? We prophesy in part, we know in part. We look in a glass darkly. We can't really see. But they could see. They could see they had such a deep understanding of the Lord. Such a wonderful enlightenment. The eyes of their mind were fully opened. They were only struggling. Oh, I don't know what that means. I don't know, Lord. There was nothing between them and the Saviour, as the song says. No sin, nothing bad had happened. It was a perfect place to be. Perfect place to be. But we know the next part of the story, don't we? <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know how long that bit lasted for. The Bible doesn't say. Was it ten years? Was it a thousand years? I don't know. I haven't got the foggiest idea how long they had this perfection. But we know the next part who decided to join the story was the devil. And I'll just read from Genesis 3, just to remind us what the Bible says about that. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said to you, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we meet of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, you shall not touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the devil coming to the very people with the most amazing enlightenment offering them even more enlightenment. He's coming to Eve and he starts by very very cleverly asking a question Has God really said? A very clever question. Now if I say to anybody in here and I say well Somebody's maybe told me, okay, the best football team in the world, who are they? And I go, are you sure about that? If I say to anybody, I say, are you sure about that? I'm sure that you'll, you'll go, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. So the first thing that the devil done was attack her belief system. Put a little bit of doubt in her mind. Because he was going to do something else. But before he'd done something else, he had to shake her belief system. Now these... Eve knew so much about the love of God, so much about how cared for she was. The devil had to just challenge that to start with. So has God really said? Is that, are you sure that's what God said, Eve? And she goes, well, I have to really think about that. Wait a minute, what, what did God say here? And she gives him his story. Her story, sorry. She says, well, yeah, that, this is what happened. You know, the Lord said we can eat of all the fruit, but... But, but not of that one, because we eat it or touch it, we'll die. And then the devil done what he really wanted to do. He introduced some new thoughts. He introduced his own enlightenment. He actually said, the way he said it, he said, so you've told me that. I want you to think about this. Okay, Eve, you've told me what you think. You've given me your version of God's word. Are you sure about that? 
And then the next thing he said is, let me interpret it for you. Let me tell you what, what really is the truth. You think you've got enlightenment, Eve. You think you know everything. You think you understand God. Let me tell you something you didn't know. So he undermines her confidence in her own belief. He challenges her. Are you sure? And she goes, oh, hang on, is that right? And then he comes in and undermines her whole belief system. Let me interpret God's word. And this is what he says. Okay, this is the devil's enlightenment. This is the devil's version of the truth she's getting now. A different kind of understanding. And he said, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not certainly die. So he's changed the whole thing. He says, for in, for God knows that in the day you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's offered her something different. He's given her a certain different type of enlightenment. He said, actually, do you know what, Eve? You think God's trying to help you? You think God's telling you something? Don't touch because you'll die. That's not true. God's actually withholding something from you. You think God loves you, Eve? You think God thinks you're special? Wait a minute. God's holding back from you. I've got different kind of enlightenment that you can get if you eat of that fruit. There's actually more than God's given you. And he introduced the idea of injustice. At that very point, there was no injustice, obviously. <laughs> we all think God's unjust sometimes. Oh, why did it happen to me? There was no injustice, and there never is with God. But he brought in, God's not been just to you. God's not telling you the full story. He's covering up. He's hiding something. And you know what? Even worse than I have, God's stopping you reaching your full potential. You think going to church is good? You think being a Christian is good? Wait till I show you something even better. So you see that kind of enlightenment? That's the devil bringing in completely different kind of enlightenment. So he's introduced the idea of injustice. He's told her there's more. God's keeping you back, Eve. It's the same today. What are you doing wasting your time here, Graham? Church is holding you back. Go out and be a wealthy businessman. Go out and do something else with your life. The devil tells the same stories he's told then as he's telling now. And he introduced something else. He introduced discontentment. You think about it. Eve should have been perfectly content with what she had. We should be perfectly content in our salvation. We shouldn't shouldn't need anything else. We shouldn't need anything else at all other than the love of God and the salvation. We're bought with the blood of Jesus. What higher, what more price could we have? What more wonderful salvation could we have? We shouldn't need anything else. But the devil doesn't want us content with what we've got. He wanted us discontent. So he says to Eve, he says, look, there's more. You've got all this great stuff from God. It's brilliant. But you know what? I can give you the knowledge of good and evil. And you'll be like God's. So the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Yeah? And at that point, Eve was about to give up her great gain. She was about to walk away from absolutely everything she had in God and take the whole of mankind with her. Yeah? And the Bible does say, and I'll come back to this, but Eve was deceived and not Adam. And through one man, not Eve, through one man, sin came into the world. So it wasn't Eve's fault, don't get me. I'm not blaming Eve, right? <laughs> okay? Just in case I get hammered for that, right? <laughs> the Bible's quite clear about what it says, yeah? 
So she's the devil's telling her, "Look, Eve, come on. What's really going on here? Is it God stopping you getting the good stuff? He's stopping you of all these other things. Deliberately stopping you." And as I said, it's the same today. It really very, very much is the same today. When God comes to us and tells us something, the devil's always there. And what's he going to do? Did God really say that? And if you're reading your Bible and somebody tells you about it, the devil will come and say, is that really the way that should be interpreted? Is it? Are you sure that that's exactly what God meant there? Now the devil's done that since that day till now. Let me interpret that for you. Let me interpret God's word for you. And the problem is we listen. And he does the exact same thing. He just asks you the question, are you sure about that? And then he comes along with his idea. And he tells us the same things. If you believe that, it will limit your potential. If you believe what God said, it will stop you getting to your absolute best place. You'll never be the person you could be. And he brings in discontentment and he brings in injustice and tells you the Lord's not treating you right even though you know he loves you. And he tells you that the Bible was only for them. Corinthians, that was for the Corinthians. Let me interpret that for you. All this stuff about what women should do and all this stuff about how to have communion. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? The devil wants you to have his enlightenment. He wants to teach you his ways. And he's very good at it. Very, very good at it. You know, so, okay church, the Bible says we shouldn't get drunk in wine, but did God really mean that? The Bible says women should dress modestly, but does that matter today? Do any of these things really matter? And throughout the centuries, the church has been slowly killed by interpretation by the devil death by interpretation and you know that's not just the church that's our lives death by interpretation oh Tony don't bother praying you're too tired son do you really need to pray all the time do you really need to follow the Lord the way that you know you should in your mind but I mean give yourself some space and the devil has spent how many thousand years you count them up Interpreting God's word. So who's better at interpreting God's word than us? Two people, God and the devil. (laughs) Yeah? He's more practiced than any of us. In fact, they even tried it on with Jesus, didn't they? Do this when Jesus was getting tempted. Here's what the Bible says, Jesus. Let me interpret it. Let me tell you what the word says. Let me tell you what you should be doing. Prove that you're the son of man. Go go and jump off that building, the Bible says. He quoted the word. So we know that the church has suffered by the devil's interpretation. We know that we've suffered by the devil's interpretation. And we know for sure that Eve took the bait. Eve went for it. Despite the relationship she had with God. A better relationship probably than anybody in here had with God. Because I don't know anybody in here unless she's wanting to come up and tell me otherwise. It goes out every night and God comes down and walks and talks with him. We get prayer times, we get close to God, we get the Holy Spirit, we get nice presence of God in the church and all these good things, but we don't have that. But the devil was able to undermine her and point her to a different enlightenment. So let's talk about that. And what we'll just say here is a wee aside, I want you to think about this. Everybody knows the traditional picture where you've got Adam and Eve, yeah? 
And there's the tree, and there's the serpent on the tree, right? It's usually a snake, but he should have had legs and things, because, you know, anyway, forget it. And they're all together. Go and read your Bible and see if that's what it says. Go and read your Bible and see if that's what it says. We don't actually know. You know, in the medieval times, they like to make wee pictures and representations to make it easy. The Bible says that Eve spoke to the devil, right? And then she went away and got, you know, she took the fruit. In that order, whether she went away and took it, but she took the fruit. And then she gave it to her husband who was with her. So I'm not 100% convinced that they were all standing in the same place at the same time. It's just one to think about. One to consider. So anyway, the Bible says that, as I said, Eve was deceived and not Adam. And this is really important, right? When Eve listened to the devil, okay, she got a thought, an enlightenment in her mind, okay? Now that thought, follow this, that thought became an intent in her heart, right? And the reason I want to tell you this is because the devil still does the same. He gives you a thought, and then that thought, if you dwell on it, drops down into your heart. So you went, okay, the fruit, that sounds good. Yeah, okay, I like that. And it says that she saw it was good for food. Yeah. And she saw, yeah, okay, make me, give me the knowledge of good and evil, that'll be good. And she thought about it. And her problem, instead of going, look, devil, no, 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 I don't want your thoughts, she let it dwell. And it went into her heart, and when we listen, whether it's the Lord or whether it's the devil, that thought goes into her head, and it drops down and becomes an intent of the heart. See, once it's in there, it's really hard to get it out. See, once we've dwelled on it, once we've listened, once we've believed, it then becomes stuck, and it actually becomes part of us. So that's how the devil goes into our life. A wee thought, a wee idea. Something from here comes in. All right, okay. We dwell on it, it drops down. And it's like when you eat food, it becomes part of you, doesn't it? Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. The devil's got the same idea. I want you to live in my words. I want you to live in my enlightenment. So there's Eve, she gets the thought, she thinks on it, becomes an intent, something she intends to do in her heart. And that thought became action. She acted on the devil's idea. Yeah, She wanted that other enlightenment. So the devil brings in his little thought, there you go. And she goes, you know what, I'll do that. Now Eve fell into a snare. Right? The Bible says she was deceived. And I want to make this really clear. This is why Eve's not to blame. This is why it's Adam's fault. Eve thought she was doing the right thing. She didn't realise how deceived she was. She didn't go, yeah, okay, this is completely wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. But when it came to Adam, and Eve got to Adam, and this is why I'm not sure they were all standing together, right? So when Eve's got the fruit and she says, Adam, this is the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here it is here. And do you know what? The devil told me this. He said that if we eat it, We'll get the knowledge of good and evil and we'll be like gods. Right? So he was convinced. He was excited. Oh, I've got this. I'll go and give it back to Adam. Here we go. Adam knew better. Adam had heard directly from God. And in his mind he went, Okay, God definitely told me that I would die. 
God definitely told me that I shouldn't do it. But he made a decision to do it. He made a decision that despite knowing exactly what God, he wasn't deceived, he wasn't going, oh, I'm not sure about that, I might do it. No, he knew it was wrong. And he done it. That's sin. That's why God winks in the times of our ignorance. Because we can get into things, we get into the wrong thing, we get confused, we get messed up. There's a difference between that and deliberately going out and doing something you know that God's told you not to do. Can you see that? That makes sense. Because that scripture where it says Eve was deceived and not Adam, well, what does it mean? Well, she didn't know any better. She, she was convinced, fully convinced in her heart that, okay, that's the right thing. Look at the church world today. There's churches out there that do things that just aren't in the word. But they're fully convinced. They're con- fully convinced that they're right. The people that go there are convinced that they're living a Christian life. They're convinced that, you know, I don't want anything in churches, but worshipping saints or praying to saints or whatever's right. They're convinced of these things. They're not bad people. They're not bad people. They're convinced. But it's not the word, is it? But why did Jesus, I spoke about it last time, why did he get at the Pharisees? Because <laughs> they should have known better. They should have known better. So there's the difference between deception and getting out and sinning. Very, very clear. Right away back, that Adam thought about it, knew that it was completely, utterly, utterly wrong to do what he was about to do, but done it anyway. I don't know his motives. Does anybody know his motives? The Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us why he decided to give up everything he had, knowing that it was wrong, and taking the fruit from his wife. I've heard it said that it was out of loyalty to Eve. Oh, she's going to do it, you know, and she's going to die. I don't know many husbands that would necessarily do that, but, you know, that was the story. I've heard it said. Or did he measure it? Did he decide, do you know what, knowledge of good and evil and the risk of death? I'll take that chance. Because that's what a lot of us do. I know what God's told me to do. I know what he's told me not to do. But do you know what? The last time I've done something wrong, I didn't die. <laughs> God's gracious, it doesn't matter. Sin, who cares? He's not going to kill us. I really don't know what Adam's motive was. But I know that he'd done it. And I know that it was different from what Eve done. Because he wasn't deceived. Yeah? He wasn't deceived. He readily accepted what Eve told them to do or asked them to do knowing the consequences what we do know is that as soon as they took the fruit this is what the Bible says and the eyes of both of them were opened so there's your enlightenment there's your third enlightenment you've got the first one when Adam woke up the second one he found his wife and here the Bible records again their eyes were opened it doesn't say that about Eve doesn't say Eve's eyes were opened to, and, and she had it and went out and took the fruit. Doesn't say anything about eyes opened until it gets here. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So it wasn't it just their physical eyes? Because they weren't walking about like that. Right? It was obviously the eyes of their understanding. Something dramatically had changed. A new enlightenment had come in and they stopped only knowing good. And suddenly they knew evil as well. 
So I went, oh my goodness, you're, you're naked, that's wrong. I never thought it was wrong before. There was a complete change in their thoughts. A door had opened and it was a door that they weren't going to be able to shut. And it wasn't only physical nakedness they felt. It was spiritual nakedness. They were now spiritually naked. That covering that God had given them, that righteousness, that glory of God, the Shekinah of glory that, that was in the garden, it was all over. Suddenly, oh, I feel different. Wait a minute, something's changed here. Something's happened. What's, what's, what's all these other thoughts coming in? I don't, I don't know. What's, what's... And we know that. Because what happened when God came to see them? Came into the garden that night. <laughs> Classic. Here comes the Lord to walk with you. And you've just eaten off the, the tree and you know it's wrong. You've got choices to make. Do I go and tell him? Oh Lord, I've really, really, really mucked up Lord. I've gone and taken in that tree. Or do you go and hide? <laughs> How do you hide behind the tree from God? I mean, for people that knew the Lord. You know, you'll never see me here. <laughs> but it showed you the depth of the fear. Completely irrational actions carnal actions and this is important they had gone from having purely spiritual minds that knew only good purely spiritual minds to having a carnal mind and carnal actions and the Bible records it to be carnally minded is enmity with God so as soon as they took that fruit and ate it and their minds changed they got that knowledge of evil carnal mindedness and at that point they became enemies of God so they had a fear of God some days you're an enemy you're afraid of him some days you're a friend, you're not afraid are you you're not afraid of your friends you're afraid of your enemies and they started fearing God so instead of when their father came their loving, caring father that only wanted good and came into the garden and said where are you, knowing what had happened they had the choice, instead of them saying, oh, we'll go and tell them. We'll just cast ourselves down and say, Dad, I'm really sorry, I've mucked up. I know I shouldn't have done that. You told me not to do it. Can you have mercy? They had carnal mindedness. Righteous spiritual mindedness would have gone and asked forgiveness. They'd have gone, oh, okay, yeah, spiritually, I know that God's forgiven. I'll go and do it. They didn't do that. They couldn't do it. Not only didn't they do it, but this, the power of these new thoughts and this new condition was so strong that they couldn't even fight against it. They didn't know how. They'd never had it before. All this, boom, why do I feel like that? I feel, I feel guilty. I feel shame. I'm naked. I feel dirty somehow. What do I do with this? I know. I'll go and hide in a tree. <laughs> and in some bushes and hopefully God won't notice. And then the next thing, carnal mindedness, think about this enmity with God. The Lord actually comes and finds him and says, So Adam and Eve, what, what is it you've actually been up to today? And once again, they've got the opportunity. Lord, oh, we've mucked up. And what did he do? He says, Adam, what happened? Does he take the blame? Does he do the righteous thing? No. Does he do the spiritual thing? Lord, I'm fully responsible for my own condition and my own sin. Forgive me. Lord, it was my fault. I should have been in charge. You put me, you said, that you told me exactly what to do. You told me exactly what would happen. But do you know what? I've mucked up. Lord, just forgive me. No. Eve made me do it. <laughs> the woman, you gave 
intrigued with this woman. And do you know what she's gone and done, Lord? For goodness sake, she went and spoke to the devil. And she came back with the fruit. And, well, you know, I didn't want to not be part of what she was doing or whatever his motive was. Carnal mindedness, enmity with God. That's important to remember because we all sin, we all do things wrong. The spiritual way to deal with that is just to repent. It's just to get before the Lord, Lord, no matter how big that sin is. You couldn't get a bigger sin. Between these two, they brought mankind down into the condition we are. I mean, if you're going to look for a, a bad thing to happen, it happened here. Yeah, it was the beginning, the first sin. But they still could have repented and they didn't. So no matter how big the things do, you do wrong in life, always remember your father loves you and you can go back to him. Because that's the spiritual thing to do. The camel thing is to hide. That's why David speaks to him and says, Lord, don't let me have any hidden sin in my heart. Lord, if there's any there, show me. He doesn't want to be in that condition where he's hiding sin, where he's taking it away. He wants to be in a condition where he's ever before the Lord saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, please help me. Help me. Adam and Eve failed to do that. So from having one choice, which is what our brother prayed about this morning, one choice they had, eat the tree or don't eat the tree. Eat the fruit of the tree, don't eat the fruit of the tree. That was the only thing, that was the rule. The one rule, one rule. Dead simple. There's a tree, you can either eat of it or not eat of it. How was that? Wasn't it complicated? Right, and if you eat of it, you'll die. Okay, get that. Wasn't it hundreds of rules? One rule, all of a sudden, from having one choice, they had thousands of choices. Because every time they came to a situation, they had the knowledge of, I can do good, or I can do evil. So it wasn't simple anymore. It wasn't simple. They had these choices and they failed already straight away. They had, and from that point on, humankind, every time we come to a decision, do we do good, do we do evil? We're all faced with that. And it's down to these two. We can't blame them. But it's our choice now. So they opened, they went from that simple, easy life of having one choice. And from that point on, they were going to face choices in every situation. And from having eternal life, from having the presence of God constantly, they had death and they lost their peace. Because Romans 8 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death. There's the death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And they were enemies with God. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So from that point they made that decision. That carnal decision. Their minds were no longer able to be subject to the law of God. Do we get that? Do we see that? Yeah? Okay. So sin had changed them in a way that even they couldn't have predicted. They never saw that coming. I mean, if I was Adam, I'd have gone, I'll take that and I'll die instantly. <laughs> right? God said I'd die. Oh, hang on. I've not died. Boom. Carnal mindedness. That's death. That's death. Okay? And it wasn't instant death. And here's what the Bible says. Genesis 3.22 says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, and you can look at this, and now, lest he put his hand out and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God 
didn't he make them die instantly? The reason he died is he no longer had access to the tree of life. Because God barred it, put them out of the garden. So actually there was a, a situation there that God hadn't barred, and of course he would, but there was a potential that they could live forever by eating of the tree of life if they had constant access to it and live in a constantly sinful state and never die. So it wasn't instant death. It was the lack of access to the tree of life. God says it. And it's a bit kind of like if you say to your kids, can't have any more toothpaste. You're barred from using toothpaste. Now eventually your teeth will rot and fall out, but it won't happen right away. And that's what happened. They no longer had access to the tree of life. Because God didn't want a humanity that was just constantly sinning. So their hearts had completely changed. And the Bible says in Matthew fifteen nineteen, out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Something had changed in the heart in Greek. The heart means your inner self, which is why when you go back to thought, you take it in here, it goes into your inner self, it becomes intention, and that becomes you. So that's why your thoughts, why what you think is so, so important. So we know what happened. We know they were kicked out of the garden. We know they lost absolutely everything. We know that they were cursed. We know that they were barred from the tree of life. And we know that from that point on there was a steady decline. So we know the next big story is Cain murdering Abel. Yeah. And Cain was faced with choices. Choices. Thoughts. So he, he thought, I'm going to sacrifice to God. And he, he, he done his best. He went away and he got all his fruit and everything because he was a farmer he put it all up and yeah, this was great. And it wasn't accepted. We know the story. But his brothers was accepted. His brothers was killing a lamb. Now, Cain got angry. Now, there wasn't any anger in the garden before that, remember. Cain got angry. He got very angry. And the Lord comes and says, What are you so angry for, Cain? All you have to do is do the same as your brother. He had a choice. But his carnal mind, carnal minded, couldn't make the right choice. Kills his brother. And a thousand years from that point passed. And the Bible records that God looked down and he saw a man and everybody was thinking evil. Their thoughts were evil all the time. So see that flood, that carnal mindedness, all it took was opening the door a wee bit. Adam and Eve, knowledge of good and evil. And then a thousand years down the line, there wasn't any good anymore. Look at the world now. Yeah? Look at the state we're in. As in the days of Noah. Yeah? Carnal mindedness. Now the Bible's interesting because you can look at it from all different angles. And we hear a lot about sin and a lot about the heart. It comes from here. It came from here. It came from the devil giving them the wrong enlightenment, speaking to them so that they would disobey God and these thoughts would come. So there was that quick decline and eventually God called the moratorium. He said, right, end of story, this is it. I really wish I hadn't done any of this. I'm going to destroy the whole world. So why do we need enlightenment then? Why do we need God's enlightenment? Why did Paul pray that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened why did he pray that? Well, I've told you why. Because we're carnal minded. 
without God's enlightenment. Our natural disposition, we call it human nature. Paul thought with it. Apostle Paul thought with it. He says, my mind is serve the Lord God, but with my human nature, if you read in the Greek, it says with my human nature, it says the heart, but it's human nature. I serve sin. We're still fighting that same battle. We're still fighting that same battle of the mind. Yeah, we might think it's a battle of the heart. We might put it in whatever term you want. That's fine. But you know what? It's a battle of the mind. Now, thankfully, I always liked it for thankfully, right? Because I started last week. Was, oh God, no, we're all going to die. Okay. But we know that's not the true story. Yeah, we know that God sent a man to restore us back to the way it should have been. God's plan wasn't it that we just all went on and it never got any better because he decided not to destroy the world then. He knew that he was going to send the Saviour. In Colossians 1.22, this is really important, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, in your evil deeds, because when you get an evil mind you get evil deeds, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So Jesus Christ was sent to overcome the fact that we were at enmity with God because our minds were evil. Yeah. So we know we stand righteous. Thank God. We also know he's given us the power to overcome this carnal mindedness. And he says here in Romans 12 too, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed it doesn't say transformed by getting baptised or transformed by changing your heart. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So our place as Christians is to be not conformed to the world. We spoke about that a wee bit before and doing the things that the world do. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So I'll summarise what I've said. <laughs> okay. First enlightenment, Adam woke up. Perfect. Revelation of God. Second enlightenment. Wonderful revelation, having a wife, found a good thing. But the third time their eyes were open, that opened the door to carnal mindedness. And from that point on, humanity has been at enmity with God. However, he sent a saviour. He sent an anecdote. He sent an anecdote, not only to the problem of sin, because we needed bloodshed for that, but to the problem that's up here, which is what really the problem is, what's going on in our heads. He sent us a way to be conformed to his image. To the image of Christ. And how do we do that? How do we be conformed to the image of Christ? How do, how do we transform our mind? It's really simple, isn't it? I don't even... I, somebody else can come and give the answer. Read your Bible and pray. Is that hard? If you fill your mind with worldly things and you watch movies all the time and you sit and watch breakfast telly and God knows what. I watched this woman one day. I wish I had never seen it. What a silly programme and what silly people. God help them all. 
Right, I was sitting somewhere and it was on in a hotel or whatever and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. If you fill your mind with that, you're conforming yourself to the carnal-minded old man. If you pray and if you read your Bible and you seek the Lord, you're being conformed to him with his image. And you're overcoming that carnal-mindedness. Do you know why that's important? Because one day you're going to need to make a really important decision, like Eve and like Adam. I'll tell you what, you want to make the right one. And if your mind's in the right condition, that affects your heart. Because what goes in up here goes in down there, and that becomes who you are. Fill yourself with the word of God, and you'll become like Jesus. And you'll have wisdom. You know, in James it says, it's one thing, one of the few things, a lot of, you know, there's some things in the Bible you pray you're guaranteed, and one of them is wisdom. If any man pray for wisdom, he'll receive it. And why do we need wisdom? Wisdom's not the same as knowledge. Knowledge is knowing something. I know that the Eiffel Tower's a big tower. Whatever. Knowledge is, wisdom, sorry, is the ability to make the right decision. How important is that? Look at Eve. Look at the importance of making the right decision. Pray for wisdom. Read your Bible. And like Joseph, the Lord will raise you up. You'll be different, as we spoke about last time. When we said that the law made them different, God gave them a law so they'd be different from everybody else. If you've got the wisdom of God, you'll stand out. You'll be different. You'll make the right decisions for your family. You'll say the right things to them. You'll speak in love. You'll do all the things that you want to do. Rather than just rolling along carnally minded. God's a good God. You know, the fall. You know, carnal mindedness come in. But thank. Thankfully his grace has given us a way to overcome it. And it is as simple as reading your Bible. Fill your head with the word of God. Read Proverbs. I love Proverbs. A proverb that's kept me for years. The Bible says, if a man gets involved in somebody else's business, it's like picking up a dog by the ears. Right? Has anybody ever tried to pick a dog up by the ears? Do you want to do that? The volunteers come back next week and tell me what happened. (laughs) And I'll tell you why you never want to get involved in anybody else's business. Because I'm sure you might spend a bit of time in hospital at the best. It's a beautiful thing, the Word of God. Simple wee things that help you. A soft answer averts wrath. How many times in our marriages do we wish we'd had a soft answer and averted wrath? How many times in life? I hope that's been helpful. Father God, Lord, it's a reasonably deep subject, Lord, and I'm not sure that I covered it well, but Father, I just pray that you bless the word to the people. Lord, that you help us to see what you're trying to say, Lord, where the, the, the keys to understanding what's happened in the past are the keys to understanding what we do now, Lord, and how you operate now, and how the word operates now, Lord. Father, we just pray that you help us, that you grant us revelation, and Lord, that you help us, not only to pray for ourselves for enlightenment, Lord, but to pray for others. If Paul prayed it, Father God, surely it's important that we pray the same for others, that their eyes of their understanding be enlightened, that they know more of you because the knowledge of God is eternal life for this is eternal life that they should know you and know your son and Lord we pray for that knowledge, that understanding of good that drives out the knowledge of evil we ask these things in Jesus name Amen